the, the topic for today we're going to be looking at is remaining faithful. Remaining faithful. Um, the passage we're going to be looking at uh, in today's sermon is 2 Chronicles chapter 32. Uh, it's a book in the Old Testament of the Bible. If this is your first time in a church, um, this is the part of the Bible that is written before Jesus came onto this earth. Uh, this book, Second Chronicles, is an account of all the kings uh, that ruled uh, Israel and Judah uh, during the time, which is God's chosen nation, Israel, to bring Jesus. Uh, this is the account of all the kings that ruled this nation. And uh, today we're going to be looking at a king called Hezekiah. Uh, he ruled approximately 700 years before Jesus was born. And we're looking at a very gripping account of his life when his kingdom was under attack. Right? So even if this is your first time, um, I'm pretty sure the story itself will engage you. And not just that, more than that, you'll be surprised at how a king's life from centuries ago, 700 years even before Jesus was born, speaks to us today. Um, I've requested Sarita to read the passage for us. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verses 1 to 21. We're not going to be reading all the verses. Please go back home. If you have your Bibles open, please have the, all the verses open. But we're going to be reading a couple of verses from this portion. 2 Chronicles 32, 1 to 21. After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. After this, Sennacherib, king of Syria, who was besieging Lachish with all his forces, sent his servants to Jerusalem, to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, On what are you trusting that you endure the siege in Jerusalem? Is not Hezekiah misleading you, that he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst, when he tells you the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, Before one altar you shall worship, and on it you shall burn your sacrifices. Now therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, or mislead you in this fashion, and do not believe him, for no god of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? And they shouted it with a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall, to frighten and terrify them in order that they might take the city. Then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, prayed because of this and cried to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of, king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he came into the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him down there with the sword. Amen. This is God's word. Um, 
this account is also uh, written in a book called Second Kings, Second uh, Kings chapter 16 to 19. I'm giving you all these references, so if you're more intrigued by the story, what is happening, you can read uh, the whole account. Uh, today we'll be referring to a couple of uh, instances from that account as well. It's the same story written by two people, so we have a fuller picture from two points of view. I'm going to just pray before we start the talk this morning. (laughs) Holy Spirit, we thank you because your word comes to life in our hearts because of what you do. Your word that was written centuries before we even, uh, before we now, before our time here on earth, speaks like a double-edged sword. It is active, it is living, and then it, it meets us at a point of need. So this morning, even as we look at your word, Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts. For those of us who are explorers, uh, would you you help us understand who Jesus is? And and, uh, would you help us understand and see Jesus in all his beauty and all his glory? In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Here are the three things that we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. The first thing is... What's really under attack? Yeah? We we looked at a story of one kingdom trying to attack another kingdom. We're going to be looking at what's really under attack here. The second thing, how is it being attacked? And the third thing is experiencing victory. Yeah? Let's, Let's look at what's happening. What's really under attack here? It says, after these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. Why did Assyria come to invade Hezekiah and Judah? What is happening? What is the context? Allow me to give us some. At this time, God's chosen nation, Israel, through whom Jesus was supposed to come to the earth centuries later, it was divided into two kingdoms. It was divided into Israel and Judah. This account is about Judah. Hezekiah was the king of Judah. Now, Hezekiah took over as a king from his wicked father, Ahaz. Ahaz has done a lot of things which are terribly wicked in the sight of God and in the sight of people, and he's led God's chosen nation away from God. He's, he's led them to worship many things. He's led them to do some thoroughly despicable things. You can find them in the books that I've told you. He did everything evil in the sight of God, and, and he, he shut down the temple in which God commanded his people to come and worship. Right? Uh, During his time, when Ahaz was reigning, Syria came to attack this kingdom Judah. And when they came, what this Ahaz did, we see that in the second king's account. It says, Ahaz went to Tiglath Pilsar. All the names are weird because these are not people from our time. He went to the then king of Assyria, and this is what he says, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of Syria and from the hand of Israel who are attacking me. And look at what he does. Ahaz also took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord in the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to king of Assyria. 
So the king of Assyria listened to him and he comes to help. Now what happens? Judah is under the mercy of Assyria. Where they were supposed to trust in God to save them, he tries to buy it from this enemy. Now when Hezekiah takes over, he leads the nation back to God. That is what we see in verse 1. His acts of faithfulness. It says after his acts of faithfulness, Assyria comes to attack. He breaks down all the idols. He breaks down all the altars. He restores God's temple. He opens it up, cleans everything, invites people back to worship him. And as a part of his faithful obedience to God and leading this nation in a spiritual reformation, this is what it says. And the Lord was with him wherever he went out. He prospered. And look at what he did. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. Here he's saying, I serve my God. I know my father took help from you and he served you. He came under your leg, your feet, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Right? And he leads Judah in a powerful spiritual reformation. The whole nation comes back to worship God. That's the context. 14 years later, the Sennacherib comes, obviously is fuming with anger. And then at that time, Assyrian kingdom was arguably the most strongest, most powerful. And they have already destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. And they have come to take over Judah. They've encamped against all its, they've taken down all its major cities already. And they've come to Jerusalem to take that one city down the last city in this kingdom. Now Hezekiah and Judah, after so much faithfulness to God, they've returned back to him, they've worshipped him, they opened the temple, the whole nation comes to worship him and bow down before just one God. They find themselves in a very weak and vulnerable position with again Assyria at their doorstep trying to take them down. Do you feel this happen to you? We grow in our love for God. Our hearts are being renewed. We grow in faithful obedience to Him. We expect to see joy and peace in our life. And then we have a powerful enemy who is waiting to wage war at the door, ready to attack and tear us down. It could, it could be anything. It could be trouble at work, it could be health issues, it could be family issues, it could be relationship issues. Have you felt that? You're on your way back to God, you're experiencing a, a renewal in your love for Him, you're you're doing uh, this, the, the gospel rhythms of coming to church, involving in community, serving in community, giving to him. You're doing all of this. But the peace and joy that you expect is missing. Instead, there's an enemy at your door. When this happens, it's a real struggle, right? It, it's very unsettling. We experience a sort of bitterness towards God you're asking him, why God, why? Allow me to help us see this irony. We are more likely to come to terms with facing hardships when we are being unfaithful to God. 
because we probably see it as him disciplining us to draw us back to him yeah when we are when we are being unfaithful to him when we are not really enjoying him and and doing life as we please and when hardships come if you are a follower of jesus you are looking at it and saying okay god is disciplining me and he's drawing me back to him but we struggle to make sense of the hardships while we are actively growing in our faithfulness to god when we are growing in our love for him coming back to him it's harder to see hardships and make sense when we are on that path somewhere deep down we have this do your best and let god do the and we take that attitude to god hold our fists fists against him i'm doing the best i can man you're supposed to come through for me save me from this lot why why is this happening this is not fair friends allow me to see allow me to help us see what's really under attack when we are facing the battles of life look at verse 15 and this is what this sennacherib is telling hezekiah in the kingdom of judah and do not believe him for no god of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my fathers how much less will your god deliver you out of my hand friends what sennacherib is really attacking here is judah's faithfulness to god he's saying you're being faithful to him look where it got you you have even rebelled against my kingdom to worship this god do you really think this god is going to come and save you as followers of jesus when we experience battles in our life the thing that is most under attack is our faithfulness to him that's the thing that is really under attack here do you really think he'll show up for you is it worth trusting him friends allow me to ask us this question where is it that we are finding it the most difficult to believe that he will come through for us which area of our life is struggling the most to be faithful to this god can we look at that for 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 a while what is it which area of your life where you look at it and be like i don't think anything can be done here i don't think god can save this part of my life it's important for us to identify this because that area is where our faithfulness to god is being attacked that's the thing that is really under attack and let's look at how our faithfulness to god is attacked how is this being attacked Sennacherib with such a powerful army could have easily come and destroyed Judah without given any warning he could have decimated them in a moment he knew he was strong but he doesn't do that he sends his people first 
to to the to this kingdom and he conveys a message why does he do that we see that in verse 18 of this chapter and they shouted it with a loud voice in the language of judah they didn't speak the language of judah but they shouted it in the language of judah in order in order to frighten them and terrify them in order that they might take the city down the goal was to terrify them and frighten them before the, why attack right scare them and let them surrender assyria wanted to scare judah into submission isn't this the best way to fight not fight at all scare the opponent into submission a lawyer might tell you this as well the best way to win a case is probably not take it to court settle it outside scare the opposition if you take it to court you have no idea what's going to happen just just give them what they want this passage is telling us assyrians deliberately spoke in the language of judah to scare them friends here's how our faithfulness to god is under attack our faithfulness to god is attacked on the battlefield of our hearts through threats that are spoken in the language of our fears our enemy is much more fatal and powerful than the senakerib our enemy satan he's known as the father of lies he knows you he knows your fears he knows your fears better than you do he speaks in the language of your fears in the battlefield of our hearts he throws in threats in the language of our fears and tries to take us down friends consider the weight of these threats upon a nation who is clearly way weaker than the enemy look at what he's saying in verse 11 is not hezekiah misleading you that he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst when he tells you the lord our god will deliver us from the hand of the king of assyria you know often in our battle to remain faithful to christ in this world in this culture it does feel like a lot like being given over to death have you experienced that and jesus himself warns this he says in this world you will have a lot of trouble people will hate you because of me in this culture remaining faithful to god feels a lot like being given over to death and today i'd like us to look at the three ways in which we tend to respond when we are faced with these threats that are attacking our faithfulness to god three ways let's look at what they are and i'm going to be all the three ways from this very passage we look at the first two wrong ways and then we'll look at the third right way yeah the first wrong way we respond when we are faced with these threats is surrender given and surrender we've already seen how assyria was trying to get them to do that it was trying to show them that their god was only going to lead them to die but not just that the second king's account shows us 
that they were not just saying, if you worship this God, you will die. They were actually promising life. In 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 31, it says, Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own wine and each of his own fig tree and each of you will drink the water of his own cistern. This is Assyria promising Judah. If you worship your God, you're dead. And if you want life, come over. You know, the, our culture, it doesn't call us to surrender by basically calling us, ha ha ha, you lost losers, come. No. It takes us, it calls us to surrender by promising life. This is why the temptation to surrender is so real. If the, if the, tempta- if the tempter is calling you a loser, you won't go to his side. We have pride in our hearts. We're not going to... Someone's calling us loser and say, come. No. It's, temp- it's, it's promising us with life. How does this play out? In, in busy seasons in life, facing, facing terrible time at work or at home, what are we most likely to take a break from? Church? Communing with God? I'll burn out if I go to this church service. I'm already going through so much. I just need a break. Struggling financially, what are we most likely to give up first? Giving to God, right? I'm sure he'll understand. I need this. If I give to him, I I won't have anything. It's, It's death. Struggling in marriage. This culture is constantly trying to preach to us is is getting married is death. You're giving, you're, it's a dead end. You're giving up on all the fun you can have. You're committing to just one person. Struggle, struggling in singleness, waiting for a faithful follower of Christ, the culture is laughing at you. <laughs> Are you serious? Look at all that's on offer. You're still waiting for someone who loves Jesus? I mean, it's impossible. It's death. Surrender is so tempting because there's so much promise of life around us. And it says with Christ, you're being given over to death. That's the first way in which we respond, surrender. The second way is solve. We try to solve the problem in our own strength. Hezekiah tried to do this. The second king's account tells us, even before Sennacherib sends this threatening message, when he sees them uh, besieging his kingdom, the moment Hezekiah sees this, he tries to pay him off. You know what he does? Much like what his father did, takes all the gold and silver from the temple of God and tries to buy his safety. He tries to pay him off. Just leave Jerusalem alone. Even as good followers of Jesus, isn't our default mode to solve these issues, these battles in our own strength? Friends, one of the most prominent and surprising indicators 
of our unfaithfulness to God is striving to solve our battles in our own strength without depending on him. That is one of the most prominent, especially with, with affluent uh, artists, professionals uh, who, who, who are in the top 1% of this country. The, we are more likely to be unfaithful to God through this. Try and solve things in our own strength. You know what the, what the belief is under that? He cannot come and save me. I need to do what I need to do. I don't think he's powerful enough to come through for me here. The third way which Hezekiah finally comes through after listening to these threats, we see that he comes to a place of crying on his knees and seeking God. You know what he does after listening to those threats? That message, he takes it into the presence of God. He shows it to God and he says, this is what he's saying about you. Would you come through and save us? for your glory, for your name. And when Hezekiah seeks God in prayer and cries out to him, we see what happens. God sends his angel and he strikes down the Assyrian army. These guys didn't have to lay even one sword on the enemy. You know, this attack on Judah's faithfulness to God, it did not break their faithfulness to God but it only made it stronger because it was in the battle that their hearts felt that in reality, God alone can save them. Friends, our faithfulness to God does not make us immune to the battles of the world. It doesn't. If if you're believing in Jesus because... It's going to make us immune to the battles of the world. No, our faithfulness of God is not going to make us immune. But it is the battle that helps us see that God alone is worthy of all of our faithfulness. Because when everything deserts us, he's the one showing up for us. Now, you might be thinking, we are definitely not seeing God sending his angel and attacking my enemy. Do we see that in our day? The people who are troubling, forget attacking and killing. He's not even removing them from my life. How do I, where is my victory here? How do I continue to be faithful to God? How do we experience victory? Friends, even though Judah comes out victorious in this battle, this victory doesn't last too long. Very soon, another king comes, another bunch of kings come, the nation goes under a spiritual decline again, only to end up in captivity in Babylon. That victory lasted too little and for too short. Jerusalem was eventually destroyed and the people are captured. You see, it was Judah's sinfulness that made it impossible for them to be faithful to God. It wasn't Sennacherib's threats and attacks. It was their own sinfulness that was powerful enough to destroy them and take them into captivity. Friends, here's our hope about 
700 years approximately later, in the ancestral line of Hezekiah came a better king. King Jesus, he came to give us a victory that would last forever. A victory that is not hampered by our sinfulness and our unfaithfulness. How did he do that? He lived, he came onto this earth, he lived a life of perfect faithfulness to God in our place. He came to fight the ultimate battle against Satan, the father of lies, who is throwing threats one after the other, and he came to disarm his most powerful weapon, our sinfulness. How did he do that? Before going into this ultimate battle on the cross where he would destroy our sin, Jesus goes to the wilderness to spend about 40 days communing with the Father. And at the end of our 40 days, the tempter comes to Jesus with some amazing temptations. We know a bunch of them, but here's the thing I'm going to look at. He tempts them in verse 8. We're looking at Matthew chapter 4. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, all of all this I give you. He said, if you will bow down and worship me and not your father. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. You see what Satan was doing? He was promising Jesus something in the name of life and power. Look at all these kingdoms. You don't have to walk this terrible, dirty, broken, death, dead-end path of the cross. No. Here, take it all in a platter. Only thing, worship me. Isn't that the temptation for us today? Pick Christ and that's a dead end. You, you're going to die. But here's life. Come, just bow down. But Jesus didn't surrender and chose to walk the painful walk, the painful battle at the cross. He remained faithful. He won the battle of the temptation. And, and he lived an absolutely sinless and perfect life but something different happened. On the cross, your unfaithfulness and mine, Judah's unfaithfulness, your unfaithfulness and mine was laid on him and he was punished as though he was absolutely unfaithful to God. And his faithfulness, his absolute faithfulness was credited to us. You know, Sarakarib was threatening Judah. Hezekiah is going to give you over to death. He, you're going you're gonna to die of famine and, and, and uh, thirst. Jesus indeed died of thirst on the cross. He indeed was given over to death in our place. The very God, his, his father that he remained faithful to for eternity and his 33 years on, the, uh, on, on, on earth, on the cross, 
he didn't come to save him. He turned his face away from him so that he can look at you and me. And when we are going through battle, he will come and show up and meet us in the battle. Friends, when our earthly battles threaten us and, and, and ask us to surrender by telling us your God will not come to rescue you, we look at the cross and call its bluff. My God is with me in the battle and, and because of what Jesus did, I will never be left alone. When we look at death, the very thing that he was threatening with, we look at death and say, where, oh death, is your victory? Where, oh death, is your sting? My God defeated you. You have no power over me. Friends, the crucified Christ becomes even more real and dear to us in the battles of our life which is difficult to experience apart from going through a battle. This morning I feel uh, a lot of us are probably carrying the weight of having to be faithful to God. We know our hearts. We're looking at our hearts and saying, all this is great. I know my heart. I know I will slip up. I, I, I know I'm much like Judah. God will save me one day. I experience a great battle only to go back into my sinfulness. As the good news this morning is the weight that we have on our shoulders to be remain faithful to him, Jesus takes it off our shoulders. He says, do not strive in your own strength because I know you will fail. But here's the good news. Keller puts it beautifully, Tim Keller. He says, it is not the strength of your faith that saves you, but the object of your faith. We're looking to Christ. He's our savior. A strong faith in a weak branch is still fatally inferior to a weak faith, a broken faith, an incomplete faith in a strong branch. And Christ is that strong branch we hold on to. It is him, it is on him lies. It is him who is enabling us to be faithful to God. All we need to do is look to him, cling to him. I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. Probably some of us have this picture of Christ where I know he died on the cross for me, but now he is standing afar and looking at me and, and seeing if I'm living a life that is worthy of him dying for me. And, and when I'm failing, he's looking at me and like, oh, this guy is not worth it. Do you feel that way? A savior standing far looking at your life. He's going to slip up there. He, he's not worthy. Why did I die for him? Probably we feel that way. But friends, Christ, even after dying on the cross, he comes and rests in our sinful hearts 
when we are battling with the thing that is challenging our faithfulness to him the most, he clings to us. Our power comes from clinging to him, this weight that I cannot slip up, I shouldn't slip up. It's on him, it is him who saves us. Even as I close, I'd like us to um, read the lyrics of this song together. Um, as a prayer, we'll read it together, we'll read it slow. It's called, He Will Hold Me Fast. Christ will hold me fast. It acknowledges our weakness, but it also looks to Christ and sees the freedom in let him, letting, him, letting him hold us. Yeah? Shall we do this together? It'll come for us on the screen. Shall we read it together? When I fear, my faith will fail. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he can hold me fast. I could never keep my hold. He must hold me fast. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. I am precious in his sight. He will hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. Christ will hold me fast. Bought by him at such a cost. He will hold me fast. Friends, this is our assurance. This is the truth that sets us free. If you are sitting here under a religious weight and thinking, I am a failure. The good news is Christ will hold us fast. Allow me to just pray. Dear Lord Jesus, you know more than anyone else. You warned us. You said in this life we will have trouble. We'll we'll face hate because of you. So you know. You don't know just because you warned us. You know because you've been through what we are going through. And you've been through more. So Lord... When it often feels like being given over to death in being faithful to you, when we are vulnerable to just give in, surrender, or when we are vulnerable to try and fix things in our own strength, Holy Spirit, hold us fast. Jesus, hold us fast. May may our faith never be lost. Remind us that the strength of our faith comes from the object of our faith and that is Christ and Christ alone. We worship you, Jesus. Thank you for laying this weight off our shoulders. We cling to you. We worship you. In your name we pray, Jesus.
Amen.